Welcome. We're glad you're here. How many of you doubted my Super Bowl biblical prophecy until the last 30 seconds of the game? Okay. Did you learn something? Okay. I called it. I mean, I know, you know, it really had nothing to do with anything that I had anything to do with, but I called it. And by the way, here's a Super Bowl ring in case you haven't seen it. But um, bum Okay. We're really glad you're here. Um, we're doing this How to Wreck Your Life, and I know you're like, man, that sounds horrible. Listen, I promise you this won't be as depressing as a nationwide insurance Super Bowl commercial, all right? It's going to be better than that. But the problem is there, there's depressing stuff, right? I mean, I'm doing this series from Craig Groeschel, Life Church uh, down in Oklahoma. I mean, there, what he says is so good. He says, nobody ever wakes up one morning and goes, hey, today I think I'll jack my life up. Today I think I'll wreck my life. I mean, nobody, nobody like smokes one cigarette so that, that maybe someday they can have a three-pack-a-day habit and maybe get lung cancer. You don't do that. I talked to a heroin addict last week. He, he, it started with an auto accident. And he got addicted to pain meds, and now it's a $100 a day heroin habit. I mean, it, it, it wasn't something that he thought he was deciding to do, but what it is is a whole lot of little decisions that we make along the way to wreck our life. And, uh, and so we're talking about addiction. This is the last one. The Apostle Paul says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Mastered is the great word. That, what, what is it that you are under the power of? And, and I want you to be thinking about you today, I, and I don't want you to be thinking that addiction is all about bad stuff necessarily. I mean, I'm going to try to be as, as honest with you as, as I feel like I can um, today. Um, recently, I saw this addiction at the Super Bowl party for me, and it was the spinach and artichoke dip um, <laughs> on that Hawaiian bread. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, like, once I start in on that stuff, I, I, I'm mastered by it. You know what I am? You know how I'm talking? And the problem is it's, it's Hawaiian artichoke and spinach, right? So it sounds healthy. Why don't we just call it what it is? It's white flour, mayo, and cream cheese. Just call it white death. That's what it is. It's white death. Could you pass me some white death? Listen, I just want to help you to understand, just because you put spinach in something doesn't make it healthy. Oh, dude, I got some spinach in my Maui. Wow, it's really, I feel so healthy, dude. This is awesome. That was my Spicoli impression. I just, I just want you to understand that we can be mastered by a whole lot of things. The problem with the white death dip for me is once I get started, it's, it's hard to stop. Okay, and it mastered is once you get started, it's hard to stop. I think of Chuck E. Cheese's whack-a-mole game. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Whack-a-mole. What sadist made up whack-a-mole in the first place? Have you thought about that? I mean, this is a great game to teach your kids. Hey, let's hit little varmints on the head with a hammer. Great, great game. Good, good. Okay, so you go play whack-a-mole, and what happens is, like, at first, there's just, like, one pops up, and another one pops up. So you're, like, drinking your Coke, you know, eat some pizza, boom, you know. And then all of a sudden, it, you know, they get faster. And all of a sudden, you're, like, you're, you're flying around all over the place trying to knock the little suckers back down again. That's what mastered is for me. Okay? That's the best interpretation of the Apostle Paul I could give you. It's a compulsion. It's, it's to be enslaved to something. And it usually starts slow, and it gets worse along the way. 
Now, I don't want you to take Paul's meaning out of context. I want to talk about this. Everything is permissible for me. I mean, he's not like saying everything is permissible. He's not saying like heroin is permissible for me or porn is permissible for me or, you know, murder is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by it. He's addressing a crowd of people who are arguing over, over some things that are, que- that, are, that are like questionable in, like, in, in whether or not they should do them in the first place. Like meat sacrifice to idols. Um, drinking alcohol, special days, some of those, you know, that they should observe. And and so they're having this religious argument. And I want to say this right up front. That's why he says everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial, and I won't be mastered by anything. Alcohol is a perfect example. The reason prohibition happened was because society as a whole decided, you know what, we can see what's going on. And alcoholism was horrible back in that day. And they could see what was going on, and so they tried to throw the baby out with the bathwater. That, that's, that's clearly in the, pot, in, the, in the category of everything being permissible. That's what it is. I lived my life full of churches, and some of you did too, churches full of people who were addicted to food. Have you ever been to a potluck? Okay? They were addicted to sugar, they were addicted to caffeine, they were addicted to television, and they would look down their nose at somebody who had a glass of wine with their meal. And you know those people too. All right? And Jesus said, if you're looking at somebody else and their deal, you, you got a log sticking out of your eye and you're trying to get a piece of sawdust out of somebody else's. It's a funny image. Jesus was he, was, he was being sarcastic. He was like, stop doing that. What, what I want you to concentrate on, and I realize that some of you are living with somebody who's addicted, and, and, I, and I know that your life is hard, and I know you're sitting right there, you know, a bunch of you going, boy, I hope this person hears this sermon really well, and you know, you may be, you may be watching me on the internet. I'm sorry if your mom made you watch this or whatever, but, but let's just talk about you. Let's talk about the things that are mastering you. Because the truth of the matter is, we can all be mastered by things. We can be mastered by good things or indifferent things or bad things. All right, my my dad was a pastor. He did not touch alcohol um, because you know he was a pastor, and back in that day, that was not cool, especially in Oklahoma where we lived. I mean, he he would have been fired for drinking alcohol. He wasn't an alcoholic. You know what he was? He was a workaholic. And, and, and he would tell you that today. He was addicted to working. And you know how easy it is to be addicted to working for God? You know how hard it is to take a day off and go play golf or go on vacation when the world's going to hell in a handbasket? I mean, come on, think it through. Some of you are addicted to work too. Maybe it's because you feel like what you do is, is that important, or maybe it's because that fills up something in your life. So, so you want to work, or you want the money that comes from work, and you're addicted to that. Some of you are addicted to the opposite of work. <laughs> and they live in your basement, okay? I understand. I understand. That's like you're addicted to Xbox or, you know, Minecraft or Candy Crush or whatever. I, I, we can be addicted to a whole lot of things. You see what I'm saying? The question that I want to propose to you today is what is mastering you? What has mastered you? Smoking, drinking, caffeine, working out? You can be addicted to working out. Porn, obviously, sugar, clothes, TV, shoes, technology, I love technology. Napoleon Dynamite. Come on, stay with me, all right? 
you could be addicted to a whole lot of things, and they could be good and they could be bad. And so what I'm going to help you with today, and we're doing this for the fourth time, and this is the, this is the end of it, I'm going to do it the opposite. It's really difficult, but it's really intriguing to do this the opposite way of what I normally would. I'll come at the end and tell you how to not be addicted, but right now I want to give you five easy steps to become an addict, right? And and what's alarming about this as I do it is that what what I've seen in every one of these sermons is that I find that I'm actually farther down the line towards being in that behavior than I ever realized when I look at the behaviors that cause it to happen. See if you feel the same way. Number one, lie to yourself. Lie to yourself. Don't admit that you have a problem. Oh, it's no big deal. Wait, this is it. I can quit at any time. Say that with me. I can quit at any time. All right? When you start to get to that point, that's usually because somebody else has told you, hey, dude, you might have a problem with this. And you say, I can quit at any time. And listen, back in Oklahoma, where Lonnie and I are from, they have a saying. I'm going to change it just a little bit so I don't get in trouble for it. But the, the saying would be, if somebody calls you a horse's behind, don't worry about it. But if three people call you a horse's behind, buy a saddle. All right, you, you can use that in whatever phraseology you want to, but that's, that's pretty good. I mean, if somebody, if somebody says I got a problem, no big deal. 20 people say I got a problem, maybe I should buy a saddle. But I'm telling you, forget about that. You keep lying to yourself over and over again. I can quit at any time. That's your line. Number two, live for yourself. This is so important. You have to, you have to be about you and not about anybody else. The Apostle Paul says it this way, I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your sinful, fleshly nature. For the sinful nature, right, this is what we're going for because we're trying to be an addict, desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other and you do not do what you want, okay? So, So you have two choices is what Paul is saying. In other words, there's a war that's going on inside of you, and you know that this is true. There's a war between what God wants to have happen and what your body naturally wants to have happen because your body is steeped in sin. We are sinful because of the the humanity and because of what the devil wants to do in our life. So there's this war going on. So what I'm saying is, if you want to be an addict, first lie to yourself. Number two, live for yourself. Give yourself whatever you want. If If your self wants to look at something, look at it. If yourself wants to buy something, buy it. If yourself wants to eat something, white death, then eat it, okay? Just give in. Treat your body like a bad mom in a grocery store with a spoiled little kid, okay? Oh, well, I'm just going to give you whatever you want to shut you up. Here you go, honey. Here you go. And, and, and it's really important if you want to be an addict to make sure you have lots of access to the things that you want to have to live for yourself. I mean, my wife and I have this argument every Christmas, you know? She'll, she'll, we'll have people over, and, and she'll put out a big bowl of some kind of candy, you know? Some, some M&M, mint, mint M&Ms, you know, or whatever. And she'll put it out there. And I'll be like, what are you doing? I'm putting out this. This is a decoration. I said, that's not a decoration. That's candy. And if it's sitting there, I'm going to eat it. That's the whole problem. So if you want to be an addict, sit it there. If you want to be addicted to porn, make sure you don't, you know, put any filters on, don't do any accountability things with your computer so that nobody can know about it. If you want to have access to drugs, make sure you hang out with friends who have access to drugs and live for yourself. 
Number three, rationalize yourself to everybody else. All right, this kind of goes to number one, but let's take it a step farther, right? You're going to rationalize yourself to other people, not just yourself, but to other people, okay? And, and I'll, let, me give you some, let me give you some help. Here's some great lines. Well, I'm just a victim. If you saw the way I was raised, you would do this too. I've heard that one. Well, this isn't that bad. I mean, look at what everybody else does. I mean, this isn't hurting anybody. I hear that one a lot. This is just one little thing, you know, and besides, it keeps me from doing something worse. And then there's that, oh, say it again. I can quit at any time. Say that with me. I can quit at any time. Okay, that, that's what you're saying to everybody else. You, you're already lying to yourself, but now you've got to say it to everybody else and rationalize yourself. Number four, hide. Hide yourself, okay? Hide yourself. L- listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says, he who conceals his sin doesn't prosper. It's right there. What are we trying to do? We're trying to wreck our life. If we're going to wreck our life, that means we do not want to prosper, so we should conceal our sin. Really very simple. Whoever confesses his sin and renounces them finds mercy. But we don't want that. We want to wreck our life. So hide. Sin grows best in the dark. Don't let anybody else know what's going on. Don't get anybody around you to be accountable. Let you and your thing be a little bit of a secret. It's really very natural. Very first sin ever committed, Adam and Eve, what, did he, what was his natural reaction? His natural reaction was, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. I hid. Have you, have you hidden? Have you ever popped breath mints at the office to hide the smell of your breath? You ever had your friends lie for you? You ever had to make sure the receipts weren't found so that somebody wouldn't know what you had bought or what had happened? You ever find yourself in a dark corner of the house early in the morning looking at a computer screen that you ought to not be looking at? You ever sneak off to a dark corner of the locker room to deflate footballs? (laughs) You with me? Okay. You got it. Number five, depend, I'm not going to let it go. Depend on yourself, okay? Depend on yourself. Your own power. This is really important. You depend on yourself. You lie to yourself, live for yourself, rationalize yourself to others, hide yourself, and depend on yourself. See, the problem with going to AA or Celebrate Recovery, one of those things, is that they make you submit to a higher power. And, and the problem is with a higher power, we might actually be able to fix things. But, but if, if we want to wreck our life, we're not going to do that. We're going to depend on ourselves. And I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm that kind of guy. You know, I mean, I, I rarely pay somebody to fix something for me that I can fix myself. And it's usually a really dumb idea. And I found a website that can kind of prove it. It's called thereifixedit.com, okay? You got a burner out on your stove, it's no big deal. I mean, who uses an iron anymore anyway, right? We can cook sausages. How about this? Somebody ran into the pillars on this, uh, on, this, on this thing, and so they just put them together with those, you know, those little, those little cords. And what was scary about this is I saw this and I thought, oh, bummer, because here's the next picture, and that is um, my dining room table. 
my dining room table. It broke. The legs broke off. I turned it upside down. I glued it and kind of screwed it together. And then I put that cord wrap around it, that tie down around it. And I put it, and I did that in November before, because you only, we only use that table like at Thanksgiving and Christmas. You know what I'm saying? And so before Thanksgiving, I fixed it and I left it laying like that. And my wife keeps saying, hey, can we take the cord off now? And I'm like, mm, I don't really feel comfortable doing that. Can I paint it brown so that it, you know, a little wood trim on it? Because I'm, I'm scared. That's what, that's what really freaks me out about this. All right, here, here's another one. How about uh, the Pringles can fixing? I mean, this is a good idea, right? Thereifixedit.com. It's perfect. I love this. Um, the car door can be fixed with packing tape and cardboard. Of course it can. And they call this a hanger. Your muffler needs a hanger, so you use a hanger. That's literally the term for it. How about a locksmith that can't fit, fix the locks on his own car door? Want to call that guy. I love that, right? This, uh, <laughs> this, this lawnmower is brilliant. <laughs> Tell me that is not brilliant. That looks like Oklahoma, doesn't it, Lonnie, right there? I'm just going to cut this tree down and make a wheel, okay? Um, this toilet door won't open. This, you know, so <laughs> I know. Is that great? This is perfect. We can't get it open, so we'll just cut around it. Yay! Um, this one, all I can say is I'm, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful we're looking at the back of this person. Aren't you? Holy cow. Um, and hey, this used to be a Mercedes, so we'll put the symbol on ourselves. And then how many of you couldn't watch the Super Bowl because you had snow on your dish? We now have a solution. There you go. I literally had to clean my... See, I, I, I see all these things and I'm like, that, that, I mean, those are so dumb, and yet I do those things, and yet when it comes to my life and my own addictions and the things that I got problems with, that's exactly what I do. I try to fix it myself and I wreck my life, okay? So enough of the sarcasm. What if you are here today and you say, you know what, PT, I, I don't think I wanna wreck my life anymore. I'd like, to, I'd, like to, I'd like to have help fixing it, okay? Here you go. Three easy steps to fix your life. For, first of all, you, you know what they're gonna say to you if you go to AA or any of those recovery things. The first step is admit. The story in, uh, in John about Jesus healing a guy is, I've always found kind of weird and fascinating. Sometime later, Jesus went to Jerusalem for the Feast of the Jews. <clears throat> and there was somebody there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? <laughs> Hello, Jesus. He's been laying there for 38 years, right? When you first read that, don't you go, Come on, Jesus. I mean, of course he wants to get well. Nobody wants to be an invalid. He's been an invalid for 38 years. Why would you ask him, do you want to get well? And then the longer I was in ministry, year after year of working with people, the, 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 the older I get, the more brilliance I see in that question. Because I'm, I talk to a lot of people, we talk to a lot of people who, who you know, they, their life is so jacked up and yet, when you start to tell them the things they ought to do to fix them, they don't really want to get well. They don't really want to get well. 
Until you admit you've got a problem, it's never going to get any better. Until you admit to somebody that you've got a problem, the first step to freedom, is to, to start walking free, is to admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and I can't manage myself. Whack-a-mole has gotten out of control for me, and, and I need some help. All right? Stuart Smalley, Saturday Night Live, you know, gosh darn it, people like me guy. He had a great line. Denial is not just a river in Egypt. It's true. I saw this newspaper ad. Lost, a three-legged dog, blind in the right eye, left ear missing, broken tail, recently castrated, answers to lucky. <laughs> That's denial, ladies and gentlemen. That's what it is. That's what I call denial. How bad does it have to get before you will admit, at least to God and hopefully to some other people, that you've actually got a problem? When King David finally got to the point where he wanted help, he said, my strength had evaporated like water on a sunny day until I finally admitted my sins to you and stopped trying to hide them. That's the only way you're going to get better. Jesus is asking you, do you want to get well? He's asking you that question. The proverb writer said, you'll never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins. Confess them, give them up, and then God will show mercy to you. That's the message paraphrase of that one I read earlier. You need to have some help. All right? So guess what? We have help for you here. It's called Celebrate Recovery. It's the inside of your bulletin. I, I would love for you to look at that. It's for addictions for all kinds of things. And, uh, and it meets here on Friday night at 7 o'clock, it, it, and it's open to everybody. We, we welcome you to come. And you know what you're going to find? You're going to find a bunch of people around you that you're going to admit your problems, and everybody's going to go, okay, yeah, we've got problems too, and we can all help each other. All right? It, it is really, really important that you get that, okay? Um, so step number two right here is commit to a plan. First thing you need to do is admit your problem, and that's why you need some people around you. And then you got to commit to a plan. And a plan means commit to some people and to a process. That, that's what has to happen. You need to have some people that you can trust. And, we ha and there's other things in here, too. I love Alcoholics Anonymous. We've got uh, other things in here. There's some, some uh, counselors that we recommend in here. If you're dealing with some of these things, all those things are available to you. you here's why this is important. You need some people around you who can help you uh, uh, and can minister to you without judgment and in confidentiality. I heard about the four guys that put a support group together and, you know, they decided to have breakfast one day and the first guy was like, I'm glad we did this. I'm, I'm really, my life is a mess. Uh, I'm having an affair and I know I shouldn't and I need to stop and I need your help. Second guy goes, well, I'm glad we're doing it too. I got a drinking problem. People have been telling me I got a drinking problem. I need to quit. Third guy goes, yeah, I'm glad we're doing it too. I'm at the boats all the time. I, I got a gambling addiction. I can't stop. I'm ruining our life. Our finances are a mess. Fourth guy goes, well, I got a problem with gossip, and I can't wait to get out of here. I mean, you don't want that, okay? That's not what you want. You, you want to have a, a, a place of, of accountability and confidentiality. That's why you need to be with a group of people that you can trust. But being with a group of people is more important than you possibly could imagine. Having people in your life is more important than you could imagine. So I, I, I read a synopsis of a book. I didn't read the whole book this week called Chasing the Scream about addiction by a guy named Johan Hari. And um, the article I, I read that was a synopsis was talking about how back in the day they used to test, um, they used to do drug testing, you know, addiction testing on rats. I mean, that's, that's what they, they, they would put two bottles of water in a cage and one of the bottles would have cocaine in it and the other would just be regular water. 
And in the testing, what they found is, you know, they were testing the addiction qualities of different drugs. And for example, when they would put cocaine in, 100% of the time, the rat would go to both water bottles and he would eventually start going back to the Coke bottle, no pun intended. He would start going back to the Coke bottle over and over again until he became addicted and he would eventually go back to the Coke bottle until he died. But along the way, some people started thinking, well, maybe it's not just about the cocaine. Along the way, a professor of psychology named Bruce Alexander decided to try something different. And he realized that the rat was in the cage all by himself. And he thought, well, what if the rat is in a more pleasant environment? You know, I'm in that cage. Maybe I want to, you know, maybe I want cocaine too. And so he built a rat park, you know. It was like Disney World for rats, and it had like all these tunnels and, you know, different things they could do, and a lot of rats in this park, and all the best food, and, and, and everything that they could, like the, the best place a rat could possibly ever want to be, if you would know what that was, okay. And he put this rat park in with all these rats in there, and he put the two bottles, a bottle with cocaine, a bottle with water. He said almost all of the rats would go back, and they would hit that bottle of cocaine, and they would try the other bottle of water, and in the rat park, they very rarely got addicted to the cocaine. They didn't want to go back to it as much. He said the amount of drugs consumed was one-fourth the amount of drugs consumed when a rat was alone in the cage all by himself. Fascinating, isn't it? And none of the rats died. In the same amount of time that if a rat was in a cage by himself, he would have been addicted and he would have died from cocaine overdose, none of the rats died. Then he started studying some other phenomenons. For example, some of you are Vietnam vets. I mean, in Vietnam, heroin use was very, very common. 20%, they estimate, 20% of the soldiers were addicted to heroin. Time magazine said using heroin was as common as chewing gum. And everybody was concerned about what was going to happen when all the soldiers came back from overseas and, and they came back home. And yet the crazy thing was, according to this study, even though heroin is highly addictive, 95% of the afflicted soldiers, according to this study, simply stopped using. Very few of them had to go to rehab, and 95% of them just stopped using. When they left the terrifying cage and they came back to their family and the people that loved them, Another professor, Peter Cohen, says, human beings have a deep need to bond and form connections. It's how we get our satisfaction. And if we can't connect with each other, we will connect with anything we find, a roulette wheel, a syringe, whatever. He says, we should stop talking about addiction altogether and start calling it bonding. That's really interesting. He said, a heroin addict has bonded with heroin because he or she couldn't bond with something else. So the opposite of addiction, according to Peter Cohen. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is human connection. Which is kind of fascinating to me because at the very beginning, when God made us, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. Completely overly simplistic. I understand that. 
I know a lot of people that grew up in a really great rat cage, and they had everything they could possibly want, and yet they became addicted. I know there are addictive personalities, and I know there are genes, and I know, and I know there's different things. I mean, I'm, not, I'm not saying like if everybody just had a friend, there would be no more drugs in the world. I'm saying the human connection has been important from the beginning of time, and it is important now. And if you want to be an addict, you need to commit to a plan and to some people that can help you. So guess what? One more thing I'm asking you to do. On that uh, next steps card, on the very back of your bulletin, we need some host homes to do small groups. I, I did an article for a magazine. They asked me some questions, and I was working on it yesterday. And they said, they said what, 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 you, what is your church doing to, to help stop the slide of people going to church? Because nationwide, I mean, almost all churches are declining in attendance you know, I mean, that's why I wrote Life on Mission, because we're missing the Jerusalem mission field around us. We're not reaching people. And, and I said, obviously, one of the things we're doing is trying to get our people on mission and trying to have a service that people want to come to and all those kinds of things. But I said, I, I think we might be missing the point, because in the early church, they grew by relationships. That's what I talked about in Life on Mission. They grew by relationships. They met together in the temple courts, and they met together in each other's homes. And I believe that more discipleship happened. I believe that more connection, more help for people's lives happened in their homes than they ever did on the temple courts. And I'm glad that, that you're at church. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're watching online. I'm glad that you're here. But, but staring at the back of somebody's head is not the thing that's going to help you take the next step in your development as a Christian. You need to be connected. So maybe you need to reach out. Maybe you need to go, hey, you know what? I'm going to do this because in two weeks, we start a new series called The God I Wish You Knew. And we're going to talk about who God is. And we're going to help you to under, I and mean, there couldn't be anything more foundationally important to your life than to know who God is. If, if you're going to worship him, you need to know who he is. God the Father, in two weeks, I will start with, and I want you to understand who he is. But I want you to be together in, in, in a small group and turn on the DVD. I've got a, uh, it was me teaching and Casey and Pastor Brian. We, we, we're going to be teaching it and host a group. How, do you be, how can you be a host? All, all you need to do is uh, have a heart for people. That's the H. Open up your home. That's the O. Or, or go to Starbucks. Don't open your home. Just, just open up something. Serve some snacks. White death, Hawaiian bread. I don't care. I'm not going to be there. Yeah, have some carrots and hummus if you want to be healthy. Do, just serve something and turn on a DVD. It could be your laptop, for crying out loud. Anything's that simple. Heart for people, open up your home, serve some snacks, turn on a BD. And go out, fill this out, and give it to Richie and the crazy people in the blue t-shirts on the way out, and let them know that you want to host a group. Now listen, you don't have to host a group with other people. Just tell them you want to host your own group. You've already got a network of people. How cool would it be if your friends and your family got together and actually talked about who God is, instead of just you know, whether that was a dumb call at the last of the Super Bowl or not. What if you talk about something really important in life? Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? That would be human connection. Is that going to keep everybody from being addicted? I don't know, but, but it's something that we need. It is the first step along the way. We admit, we commit, and then we submit to God. We submit to God. Very important. I mean, th again, this is what we talk about in AA. You talk about Celebrate Recovery. you got to acknowledge that there's a higher power. The Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, oh, we were in trouble one time. We felt doomed to die and saw how powerless we were to help ourselves. But that was good. Sometimes you got to get to the bottom. I prayed with some people last night whose kid is in jail. I said, sometimes that's good. Sometimes you got to get to the bottom. Because then we had to put everything in the hands of God who alone could save us. 
at some point you've got to get to that low of a level where you realize that only God is going to be able to do this. The God that, that you really know can change things. That's why we're going to study about him. That's why we're doing this series. Jesus said, what is impossible for men is possible with God. And that's the difference. It's the power of God. The Bible says there's nothing too hard for God. But here's the rub, all right? You can believe in God and you can understand God, but until you submit to God, he can't help you. I can believe in electricity. I could understand electricity. I don't, but I could. But until I plug in, it's not going to work. You got to plug into the power of God, and that's more than just believing. And I'm going to invite you to do that as we do communion later on in the service. I'm going to invite you to do that because I believe that God at work within you will give you the will and the power to achieve His purpose. I believe that with all my heart. It's not about willpower, it's about God's power. There's a, one of my favorite verses is from 2 Timothy. It's about the. God giving us all of the things that we need. The spirit that God gives us fills us with power and love and self-control. I mean, that's the spirit that lives inside of me that's doing battle with my human flesh and with the devil. That spirit that lives inside of me can give me power that nothing else can, can give me. Power to break habits, power to be the person that God wants me to be. It can give me love. I'm talking about real love, to be able to love people that are even unlovely and let go of the hurts and, and stop faking the intimacy and really love. And it can give me the power of self-control. And I don't like that, that, I don't like that term. I don't, know, I don't necessarily know a way to do it because self-control sounds like it's going to help me control myself. That's not the point. The point is the Spirit of God can help me have control. It can give me the power of control. So let me rewrite that verse for you. The Spirit that God gives us fills us with power, love, and control. It's God's control, not self-control, not your control. And that is the difference. That is what is so important, is that that's why you walk into AA and you admit that there's a higher power. That's why at CR you've got to believe and submit to a higher power. Jesus' very first statement, we, we read this earlier in the service, publicly, his very first sermon that we have a record of was he was in Galilee, went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and it was a Sabbath day, and he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, Blizzard or not, he went to church, okay? And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he unrolled it, and he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, and sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, and release and to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then it says, uh, I just, I love, the, I love the whole thing. It says, Jesus sat down and said, today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Can you grab a hold of that? Jesus is, is saying, for all of eternity, there hasn't really been enough power to, to release the oppressed, to give sight to the blind, to proclaim freedom for prisoners, to preach good news to the poor. There hasn't been that power until this moment. Today... Today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, there is power for you to be released from the prison that you are in. All you have to do is submit to it. I'm coming clean on, you know, 
several of my problems. White death is only one of them. I listen to country music this week. <laughs> I'm, 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 I, I, don't know, I don't know how it happened. Every once in a while, I have a you know, mental moment and um, decided to listen to Blake Shelton's new album, um, which has a song on it called Buzzin'. Right? You heard that song? Oh, be, 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 buzzing. And buzzing, for those of you that don't understand, it means drunk, but it's just another name for it. You know I mean? It's like I'm, I'm intoxicated, but I'm not really like completely, you know, falling down drunk. I'm just buzzing, and I'm going to be, be, buzzing. You see, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a law that <laughs> all country music has to have some mention of drinking. Okay? You know that, right? It's a law. I mean, Bacardi rhymes with party. If Florida Georgia Line hasn't helped you with that yet, that's the only thing they can rhyme those two things with. We're going to party and something about Bacardi. That's how it works, okay? And, and so I'm listening. <coughs> I'm repenting. I'm listening to Blake Shelton, <coughs> and, and, the, and the line is, and I don't know if you've heard, heard this song, I'll be putting on my Otis until further notice. I'll be, 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 be buzzing. I'm listening to that song. What, what is he talking about? What is Otis? And then it hit me. It's not what is Otis. Who is Otis? Old people, who was Otis? He was the drunk on Mayberry. Right? Doesn't this make sense now? I'll be putting on my Otis until further notice. In other words, I'll be wasted until I let you know I'm going to be, 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 be my. And I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking, oh, oh, my gosh. We used to watch Andy Griffith's show, Mayberry RFD. We used to watch this. It was like Leave it to Beaver. And there was a drunk in the show. His name was Otis. Young people, I know you missed out on some great television back in the day. <laughs> and, and every time we saw Otis, he was just walking around like a drunk guy. Guys, and everybody made fun of him, and they loved him as best they could. But he was a fall-down drunk. As a matter of fact, every night, what Otis did is he would walk over to the jail. Remember this? He would. <laughs> he lived in the jail. Are you seeing how messed up? He would open up the, the, the door, and he would go in, and he would, he would lie down, and he would sleep in prison. And every morning he would get up, and he, they didn't lock him in. He would just get up and walk out. He could walk out at any time. But he never did. And I can't imagine how those of you that had, like, alcoholics in your family had to watch Mayberry or RFD or, or Andy Griffith and watch this Otis character and have everybody sit around and laugh at him when you're realizing how screwed up Otis's life is. And how desperately Otis would have loved, he would have loved to hear good news for the poor, freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, release for the oppressed, a year of the Lord's kind of blows my mind. I'm sorry, Blake, but I just think that's a dumb song. I really am. Me putting on my Otis. Wow. Don't you know Otis would have loved to have found Jesus? He would have loved to have found the release. He would have he'd loved to have been healed. I, I realize some of you, 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 you did grow up with Otis, and you know it wasn't funny. 
Maybe that person's no longer even around, but, but maybe that person's still in your life. I'm praying for you. But I'm really praying for you if you are Otis in, in one way or another, and we all are. Whatever you, whatever's mastered you, whatever's whack-a-mole in your life, I'm, I'm praying for you right now because until you submit to the power of God, you are going to every night walk in, close the door behind you, and lay down in prison. I'll go back to my Christmas Eve scripture because otherwise, when you submit to God, Jesus was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. There's no way that anybody in the world could make you white. There's nobody, no way that anybody in the world could help you. There's no way there's enough self-control inside of you to break free from the prison that you close the door on yourself in every night of your life. There's no way that anybody else can do that. But the power of God can make you whiter than anybody else could possibly make you. So what is it that's mastered you? On the way out, we're going to give you a sticker. Actually, a sheet full of stickers. Because we just thought, we need to give you something practical to go do this with. And we've been singing this song, we're going to close with it, Christ is Enough. So we've got these little stickers that say, Christ is Enough. I, I put it on my cell phone just because it was easy to show you what you could do with it. I don't think I'm addicted to my cell phone. I threw it in the sewer, so I must not have a big problem. But, but, but what, whatever it is that you're addicted to, do you see what I'm saying? Like if it's, if it's the refrigerator, put this sticker on the refrigerator. So that every time you have to open the refrigerator, you see that Christ is enough sticker, and you have to go, oh, maybe I don't need the spinach and artichoke dip, you know? Or, or, or if it's, you know, the liquor cabinet or if it's your computer screen or if it's where you hide your drugs or, 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 or if it's, you know, at the office or you know you should leave at 5 o'clock and you're addicted and you want to stay there, you put this, we're giving you six of them, all right? If you need more than six, we'll give you a couple sheets, okay? <laughs> For crying out loud, we're trying to help, all right? But the sticker says, Christ is enough. And, and I, I, I'm telling you, I love AA because AA is a great program for people that don't believe in God yet because it just gets them in and helps them realize they need to submit to a higher power and it's not specific. It's still a very Christian program. But apart from you, we, we have Celebrate Recovery, as I mentioned, and, and it's kind of a rewrite of the AA stuff that Rick Warren and Saddleback did. And the difference, you know, you walk into AA, you say, hi, my name's Tim, I'm an alcoholic. Right? That's, that's, how you, that's how you start your discussion. When you walk into CR, you say, hi, my name is Tim. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and I struggle with alcohol. And that makes all the difference in the world. Because Jesus said, behold, I make all things new. Let's pray. Lord, I, I pray for the people that are dealing with an Otis in their life. I'm praying for the people that are struggling with somebody in their life that they probably need the Al-Anon. They need the support because their life is a mess. And I just pray for support for them. Help us to, to support them because I know the heartache. I mean, I, I get why prohibition happened. I, there was a lot of heartache. I, I get it. Um, but Lord, I pray for each one of us and the things that are mastering us right now too. More importantly, whatever it is, I mean, it seems like we can, we can kind of make light of work or, or working out or, you know, even eating or, or whatever. We can kind of make light of, you know, buzzing. I'm not, I'm not drunk. We can, we can make light of some of these things. But in the end, if we're mastered by anything but you, then 
we're not living the life that you designed for us. And I know that I'm mastered by some things. I know, I know that each one of us in this room are mastered by some things. So I'm praying right now for the believers, Lord, that you will help us to understand that we need to not just believe and not just understand who you are. We need to plug into you. And right now we will do that through communion. We need to submit to you over and over again. And Lord, if there are people in this room who don't have the power, they haven't plugged in, will you please right now let them know that all they need to do is say, Jesus, I want you to be in charge of my life. I need you to take the mallet and take care of the moles for me. I need you to, to, to run things for me. I need your power. I need your love. I need your control in my life. And I'm submitting myself to you. I'm going to make you my Lord and my Savior. Nothing else is going to master me. Let them do that during this communion time right now. Lord, I love, I love this communion. I love that we get to actually eat and drink something because we're actually bringing something into our body which is a big part of what a lot of our addictions are. We're bringing something into our body that actually symbolizes the power and the love and the control that we have. So as we do this now, help us to live that way. Help us to live knowing that you can make it wider than anybody in the world could make it. That you can make all things new. In Jesus' name we pray.